Hi, this is the official podcast of Riverside International Church in Lisbon. Riverside is an international, contemporary, caring, and Christ-centered community. Our vision is to significantly impact the country of Portugal and the regions beyond with the gospel. Thank you for listening to us, and we hope that your life will be impacted by these teachings. God bless. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. Good morning, church. Good morning. You know that I like a strong good morning. I have to tell you every single week. <laughs> Let's try again. Good morning. Yeah, that's the enthusiasm. We've been just praying and celebrating and declaring the name of Jesus. He's, he really has the most beautiful name. He is the, the most precious treasure that we all have. Um, and before we go into the Word of God, I want to just pray for myself, pray for us that our hearts this morning will be open to receive His Word. Amen. Father God, we want to praise you. We want to declare our trust. We want to declare our love for you. We thank you for this gathering. We thank you for this place where we, uh, where we uh, say your name, when we declare the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, because Lisbon can know that there is a God that is love, that is peace, a God that redeems us from sin, a God that uh, knows us and loves us in spite of our failures and uh, all our problems, Lord. We declare our love for you this morning, and we ask once again that you will surprise us through your word, that your Holy Spirit that is in this place will speak uh, deeply inside our hearts to, um, to our needs and everything that we need to learn from you this morning. We, Father, we, we know that your word will never go away empty. It will do what you've declared it will do, Lord. So we open our hearts, we open our ears, and may you speak to us, we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So many of you know that we've been in a message series uh, called God is Stranger. And it drives us to these stories and moments in the Word of God that we have to admit that God is stranger than anything that we thought before. But there is a blessing in disguise here. Because this strangeness of God, instead of driving us away from Him, it draws us closer and closer to Him. Do you agree with me, those who have been in this message series? The strangeness of God is the exactly why we love Him. It's exactly why we worship Him. It's exactly why we want to spend the rest of our lives trying to figure out this beautiful, amazing, complicated, super strange God. But it's such a wonderful God. And we're going to conclude this message series. Come on, give me awe. No, okay. Okay, let's try again. We're going to conclude this message series. Oh, okay. That was a nice one. It's a bit fake, but okay. I'll, go, I'll take it. Um, but, but we're going to dive into a significant story that takes place right after the greatest event in human history. When three strangers were uh, hung uh, up on three wooden crosses and they were left to die, they only had a sponge full of vinegar to share between them. So Jesus had just been tortured, humiliated, and killed, and all of his disciples, they were in shock. They would never expect this. 
from the way that the, the week began when Jesus was being praised while entering Jerusalem. And just after one week, he was being brutally, brutally massacred. And what happened to this, these disciples? Some went into hiding. Others just ran away. And some of them did what we usually do when we are such um, stressful moments in our lives. We want to go home. We want to find somewhere that is familiar, somewhere that brings us peace. And this is the story of the, these two disciples who had an encounter with Jesus, the stranger. So I'm going to ask Pedro, Yannick, and Angel to occupy these three microphones. Yay. Give them a hand of applause. They're so excited about it. They weren't expecting, they didn't rehearse, but they're going to do a good job. So Angel, you're going to be the narrator. Pedro, you're going to be uh, Jesus. And Yannick, you're going to be uh, Cleopas. And you're going to figure out who they are. Okay, so let's read in Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 24. Okay, now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem? who does not know the things that have happened the, there in these days? What things? He asked. About Jesus of Nazareth. They replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and uh, our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the kind the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they did not find the body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it was just as the woman had said. They did not see Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much. So we see that how Luke, he captured beautifully this encounter of these two very broken souls with a stranger. We know that one of these stranger, uh, one of these two men is Cleopas. Uh, Luke doesn't uh, allow us to know who this other man or woman is. But we know that this stranger that they encounter is Jesus himself. So we are letting in the secret that this man is Jesus, but these two disciples, they didn't know it was him. So these two disciples had just experienced probably the greatest disappointment of their lives. They gave up their whole lives to follow Jesus, this man that they believed to be the Messiah, the Son of God. This man who did miracle after miracle. This man who didn't have a problem to be with the leper, with the widow, with the orphan. This man that fulfilled every single need in people's lives. But most important, the deepest needs of a person's soul. 
this man had something special. And he had to be the Messiah. He had to be the Son of God. Imagine their disappointment. As Cleopas is just narrating, when just a few hours ago, this man was captured, killed, put on a cross, put to shame, and all of a sudden they were completely amazed and puzzled how this could have happened. They were so sure that this man was Jesus. They were so sure that he was the hope of Israel. So while their minds were just trying to figure things out, they were puzzled. They were wrestling with all of their fears and doubts and, and broken dreams. I believe that many of us have found ourselves in a similar point. We think we know who Jesus is, and we believe that he's going to come through. We know who he is because we saw his glory and power and miracles. We've experienced his presence. We know what he's capable of. But when life turns sour and things don't go exactly as we imagined, we end up exactly like them, completely broken and puzzled and trying to figure out what did just happen. But the Bible says that a lone stranger catches up with them, and they welcome his company. And we know that this man is Jesus, and I believe it's a parallel to the story that Jesus told of, of the sheep and the goats that Gabby just spoke to us about last week. Those who unwittingly welcome strangers turn out to be welcoming Jesus. And this stranger is actually Jesus. But this... Here's the irony of all of this. Cleopas was declaring to Jesus and explaining to Jesus everything that had happened to him in detail. He was telling Jesus, this is how we felt. This is what we saw and this is how we are feeling. And we don't understand. And they end up telling Jesus that the disciples back in Jerusalem did not see Jesus while them they themselves were in the presence of Jesus and couldn't even tell. They're telling Jesus that the people in Jerusalem, yeah, there's some rumors, there are some ideas that they've seen Jesus, but we don't know. The disciples didn't see Jesus. Well, Jesus is exactly right there, and they themselves don't recognize him. That just happened to Mary Magdalene. She went to visit the tomb, and she thought that Jesus was the gardener. The crowds and the rulers and the soldiers in Jerusalem, they thought that Jesus was merely a blasphemer, he that he deserved to be executed. Jesus even told his believers and, and some uh, false believers that when they would see someone hungry, thirsty, and underdressed, it would actually be Jesus himself and not just a random stranger. And these two disciples fell in the exact same situation. They were in the presence of Jesus, and they thought that was just a random traveler walking alongside of them. And this is the funny part about the Word of God. Because we, when we read the New Testament, when we read the message of the gospel, we see that a lot of people had trouble figuring out who Jesus was. Do you know this about 
uh, about Jesus. People thought, and one time Jesus even asked his disciples in Mark chapter 8, who do people say I am? And right after, but what about you? Who do you say I am? Because there were so many rumors and so many people had different ideas about him. Even when Jesus was exactly right there, ministering, preaching, loving people, taking care of everyone, people couldn't realize and make up their minds about who he was. And of course, Jesus asked the disciples this many times. Who do people say I am? Who do you believe I am? Do you think that Jesus didn't know the answer? Come on, let's be honest. Jesus knew the answer or not? He knew. He knew exactly who he was. But Jesus asked Peter back then in Mark. Jesus asked Peter because he needed to realize for himself. Peter needed to realize for himself. These two disciples, they needed to realize for themselves who was Jesus to them. And Peter successfully, he declared that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the son of the living God. And Jesus commanded Peter for it because it was not only a declaration of something that he heard. It wasn't just something that he was repeating that he heard someone telling someone else that Jesus was the son of the living God. It was a declaration from the bottom of Peter's heart. I know that you are Jesus the Messiah. I know that you are the son of the living God. And this is the kind of answer Jesus is looking for. But do you see the pattern here? Jesus is always asking us, who do you think I am? Who do you say I am? Because we truly struggle to answer who Jesus is. Not with our minds, because I think we can give a good answer. But we struggle to give it with our hearts. And the same way that Jesus put his disciples back then into these moments that they would have to reflect and make up their minds about who he was, so he does the same with you and me. Not necessarily with questions, but the situations and the circumstances and the struggles, God deliberately makes him a stranger so that we might give a genuine response to him. God allows us to go under certain circumstances and problems because he wants us to give him an honest answer. He's not just interested that we recite and tell time and time again what we say, what we believe, the things that we declare. Jesus, you have the most wonderful name, the most powerful name. Yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Jesus isn't looking for our praise, mere words. That's what we do with maybe, unfortunately, with some people. We try, oh, you're such a good, Peter, you, you play so well guitar. It's true. It's, I'm not, not making it up. You really play. But we give compliments, and we want Pedro to feel good about himself. And we, we like that, and we encourage certain behaviors by the way that we praise and we say things. But the, when we declare our love for God, when we declare our love for Jesus, Jesus doesn't need our approval. We need to realize for ourselves who, in fact, Jesus is in our lives. And when circumstances, circumstances come, 
When we are unemployed, when we are facing problems in our marriage, when our, our kids are going astray, when we look at the bank account and there's not enough money for us to survive that month, when our health is going down and down and down, who is Jesus to us? Who is he? Do we use the same words as when things are going great for us? Is still he the king that deserves to be honored and praised, that we put our, tr our trust in him, or he ends up being some, somewhere, uh, someone else? When we face these problems and these hardships in life, it requires honesty, real, raw honesty. Because that's exactly the kind of answer that God is looking from us. He doesn't want just mere words. He wants honesty from us. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 1, verses 8 to 10, and this is what Paul is saying to the church in Corinth. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead, and he has delivered us from, from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him, we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. And it seems very easy to declare this after the trial, but Paul says that in the middle of the trouble, in, of those really hard circumstances, they had to make up their minds about who Jesus was. It was at that moment where they had nothing left that they had to make a choice. Do we trust ourselves and we try anything that we can do to get away from this trouble? Or do we put our trust in God who is powerful enough to even raise the dead? And Paul experienced deliverance because he knew the God he was serving. And that's the challenge that God is offering us this morning. We know intellectually who Jesus is. But we need to start living our faith in him. We need to start declaring who he is in our lives. Because, yes, he is more powerful than, than our circumstances. Yes, he is more powerful than our diseases. Yes, he is more powerful than our needs. Yes, he is more powerful than our feelings. And that's the exact declaration that Jesus deserves to hear from us. We put our trust in him in spite of our troubles. These moments are necessarily to reveal who God is. But it's to reveal who we are. Let me say it again. These problems that we are facing is not so that we can know who God is. Because we already know who he is. If he does A or B or C, we know who he is. And he will never change. But God allows this for us to reveal who we are. 
what is in our hearts. And may we give an honest answer, an answer that comes from faith, because honesty is where faith comes from. A place of honesty, a place of openness. And hopefully we will be able to listen, learn, and grow in our relationship with God and in our own faith. But let's continue reading in Luke chapter 24. Now it's a shorter passage, so I'm not going to ask you to come. So Jesus said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. I'm a little sad that Luke didn't tell everything that Jesus spoke to them. It would have been the best book to tell someone why Jesus is the Messiah. He went all the way from the Garden of Eden to the rivers of Babylon. He went from Noah's Ark to Daniel's lion's den. All in those different examples, Jesus was there. But now we see this Jesus, this stranger, acting strangely. Instead of comforting and blessing them in this big moment of need, Jesus criticizes them for their foolishness and slowness to believe. It looks like Galatians that we're reading Paul again. How foolish are you, Galatians? Well, here you go. This is where Paul learned how to deal with people, calling them foolish time and time again. It doesn't seem very pastoral, right? Is this the image that you want to have from Jesus? When you are in need, you've just seen your best friend being massacred. You are scarred for, for life. You are in such deep pain that you cannot put two and two together. It's too much. Any of us. If, if your pastor tried to comfort you in this way, you're being foolish. Don't you know what you believe? You're being foolish. You're being slow to believe. What do you do with that pastor? Well, maybe you would give a bad review on, on, on Google, maybe. doesn't make sense. We do not expect this behavior from people. How much more from Jesus, our Lord and Savior? And this can be a little bit troublesome to understand why did Jesus go attacks their theological beliefs? Why did Jesus give such a bad evaluation of their faith? Jesus' rebuke is challenging to us because even when we get hurt, the reality is that we tend to justify ourselves. Oftentimes when we are disappointed with God, we make excuses for our lack of faith. We attribute our inability to trust God in our problems, lack of faith, our circumstances, we are just tired, we blame the pastor, we blame the church, we blame our upbringing, we blame basically everyone else except ourselves. And of course, I believe deep down 
that in the moments that we are most fragile, the moments that we need to receive comfort, the moments that we need to receive that hug from our Lord and Savior, I know that he's going to be there because I've experienced this. You have experienced this. But why is Jesus in this particular moment going against those who love him so much, calling them foolish? Because there is no excuse to not believe in him. There is no excuse to not put our trust in him. And as much as Jesus loves and and sympathizes with us in our pains and our troubles, there is simply no good reason to not trust his love for us, to not trust his power, to not trust his presence in our lives. And Jesus did say this to them. The same way that I believe that he said to to Cleopas and this other disciple. Because we can be so close to Jesus and yet miss him entirely. They were right in the presence of Jesus, but they missed him completely. This is what Jesus said to the Pharisees in John 5, 39 and 40. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Somehow, it's possible to dig deep in the word of God and still miss Jesus. Somehow, it's possible to be so fixed in our ideas in the things that we watch on YouTube and Facebook and not receive the truth that is in the Word of God. It's possible to love the Bible, but to completely miss the message. Jesus is saying that it's possible to know the Scriptures, but miss the Savior that they declare. So this challenge was both to these Pharisees and to these disciples because they were not unaware of what the Word of God said. They were just too slow or too stubborn to see the implications. More than just a growing knowledge of the Bible, we need to have a growing relationship with God. A relationship that is based on intimacy and above anything else, obedience. Jesus wasn't criticizing the Pharisees for knowing the Word of God. That was not at stake. We should know and study the word of God. But when we fail to allow it to transform our hearts, minds, and wills, then we have a problem. Then we have a problem. 1 Corinthians 11 says, if we judged ourselves truly, what would have happened? We would not be judged. If it was based on... For it was just on us, for us to judge ourselves in any given situation. The Bible says we would not be judged because we justify ourselves. Oh, I'm feeling this way because someone else did this to me. Oh, I cannot trust God. I can't go to church right now because this is what is happening in my life. This is so hard. No one can ever understand. If we were to uh, judge ourselves, we wouldn't be judged at all. But when we are judged by the Lord, oh, 
And this is the Jesus who is a stranger. Jesus that is stranger. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So what is Jesus saying here in, in his word? If we do not accept the discipline, if we do not accept that Jesus is judging us and, and wants to put us back in the right track with him, in a relationship with him, we're going to be condemned alongside the world and all of their excuses of why they're not following God, of why they cannot trust God, of why they don't want anything to do with God. The same condemnation exists every time that our problems want us to declare, who is Jesus to you? Who is he in your life? Let us answer, not as the world answers, but as the word of God answers about him. Sometimes, and I'm just going to say sometimes, rather than making up excuses, we need to confess our sins. And maybe this will not make sense for everyone, for all the problems that you are facing, but for some of, of you, this makes sense. Because instead of blaming, instead of trying to justify yourself, the one thing that we need to do before God is to confess our own sin. Jesus was disciplining these two men because they needed to come back to him. Come back to the word of God. Come back to trust the Jesus that was right there with them and had a plan for himself and for their lives. Confess that we have heard the truth, but we have chosen to walk away. Confess that we allowed our sinful feelings and emotions speak louder than the trust and the love that we should have for God and for one another. In Psalm chapter 32, verses 3 to 5, David prayed like this. Lord, I pray to you time and time again, but I did not talk about my sins so interesting we come to God we speak we, we tell him everything that is going on but we forget to talk about our sins and he confesses so I only became weaker and more miserable every day you made life harder for me here's the discipline I became like a dry land in the hot summertime but then I decided to confess my sins to the Lord I stopped hiding my guilt and told you about my sins, and you forgave them all. Folks, even when we are suffering, even when we're undergoing hardships, let the Lord examine your heart. I'm just going to give you a small example. Gabby and I, as husband and wife, sometimes we have heated conversations just a few times and one of the things that one of the reasons why we have these arguments it's because I think I am right and she thinks she is right and I'm not going to say on the microphone and, and let it go on Spotify that she is right 90% of the time I'm not going to say that I'm not going to say that 
But every time this happens and how forgiveness works, do you know what is the trigger that God always uses to put me in the position that I can or forgive or admit that I was, I was wrong? Is when he goes deep inside my heart. It's when, but what about you? Not about what she did or how she spoke to you or, or if she's being unfair. What about you? And when we allow God to examine our hearts, even if we believe we're full of reason, the thing is, we're flawed. We're no, not better than anyone else. And time and time again, it's like that the moment I have to confess my sin. I have to confess that I'm not perfect. I have to confess that maybe even the way that I reacted to her words, it's because I'm not okay. We have to look deep down and allow God to do that in our hearts before we start blaming everyone else and blame the circumstances and say that everyone is wrong. Take a good look inside and allow the Holy Spirit to take a look inside of your heart and tell you, admit, confess your sins, confess your flaws, confess your inability to trust God, confess where you are failing. And the reason why you're not moving on. And when we declare before God our brokenness, our sin, what is wrong with us? We're taking just the first step for God to make everything whole again. To make everything beautiful again. It's when we are willing to confess our blame that we are also able to recognize the goodness of God. And I'm going to invite the three of you to come once again. And we're going to close with this beautiful passage. With the end of the story in Luke chapter 24, verses 28 to 35. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going for farther. But they urged him strongly. Stay with us. For it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were op opened, and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was told when while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us they got up and returned at once to jerusalem there they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying it is true the lord has risen and has appeared to simon then the two told what had happened on the way and how jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread Amen. Thank you so much. So we see that at the end of, of this story, these travelers, they tell Jesus to come in. Come in into their home and stay with them. And it wasn't this moment that they were sharing food, uh, something to drink, and, and shelter, that something so remarkable happens. We know from the Word of God, and many of us heard this in the summit, uh, this conference that we were attending just these two past days, 
that food and hospitality are so, so important to God. Uh, Tim Chester, a theologian, he said that in Luke's gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal, he's at a meal, or coming from a meal. That is how important it is. And I bet this, these two disciples, they were many times at dinner, at lunch with Jesus, at Levi's home, at Simon's home, and Zacchaeus' home, because Jesus, he modeled the essence of hospitality throughout uh, his life. But why is it so important? Because Jesus was already declaring that our needs, either physical or spiritual, should make us all come together. It's in moments such as these that we experience something beautiful, some sort of healing that occurs not only physically, but in our souls. And the Bible says that right after they finally recognized who Jesus was, Jesus did not just linger around at the table. Jesus simply vanished. His mission was complete. And it says that they immediately went back to the road. They went back to the road where they were crying, where they were puzzled, the road that they had no idea what was going on. And all of a sudden, they were back on that road for another destiny because they had an encounter with Jesus. It was when they sought to be a blessing that they were, in fact, blessed. When they were giving hospitality, that they were the ones who received hospitality and hope from Jesus himself. One of the most important aspects of Jesus' ministry is the, his most probably regular activity was eating with sinners, as the Pharisees would call them, because all of us are sinners. But back then, sharing food with someone was more important than what it is today. It was an acceptance of someone's uh, social uh, position. Sharing a meal with someone was not a light decision, as it is today. And back then, it wasn't for Jesus as well. He knew exactly that he was starting a social revolution. He knew exactly what would mean to eat with people that are not exactly like him. But Jesus started this revolution through hospitality. And this hospitality carried on through the early church. Acts 2 says, you know, many of you know this passage. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. At the end of verse 47 says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Back then, people didn't hang out as much as probably we did. Or if they did, it was definitely not with people that were strangers. People they didn't know. People who might as well be sinners. But the church continued this model. Everyone's accepted at the table. Everyone is accepted at Jesus' table. Everyone deserves to be treated with love with respect and with dignity when Jesus is at the table. And I don't have much time to go much further into explaining this. But let me tell you this through history. The church's response to the great plagues of the second century 
made the church and the worldwide movement that the church is today. Around the year 260 AD, there was a huge plague, the second biggest plague in the Roman uh, territory. And Dionysius, the bishop of Alexandria, he wrote this. Most of our brother Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ. And with them departed this life serenely happy. For they were infected by others with the disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. Many in nursing and curing others transferred their death to themselves and died in their stead. The best of brothers lost their lives in this manner. A number of presbyters, deacons, and laymen winning high commendation so that death in this form, the result of great pity and strong faith, seem in every way the equal to martyrdom. Because the church lived differently than their pagan neighbors, caring for one another, caring for their neighbors, the strangers in their lives sacrificially, more strangers survived and they were converted to Christianity. They found Jesus even if they themselves had to die. Hospitality transforms not only the people in the receiving end, but also the people in the welcome end. I want to ask the worship team to come as we finish. Church of Christ, if, if there is a conclusion to this message series, let it be this one. When we show godly hospitality here on earth, in Jesus' kingdom here on earth, we bring a foretaste of what eternity is going to be like. People from every nation, people from every culture and tongue will be welcomed together in God's perfect presence. So Jesus is presenting our welcoming of others as the key, the key test to our relationship with God. How many of you remember the parable of the prodigal son? Let me see your hands. Come on. How many? Okay. Yeah, admit it. You know the story. How does it end? <coughs> All right answers. But it ends with a dinner. It ends with a celebration. And the older, oldest son is not, doesn't want to be at that celebration. Because he thinks that his younger brother does not deserve a celebration. He does not deserve that dinner. He would deserve that dinner and his friends, not him. And the father is convincing him, son, everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. 
And God is telling us, everything I have is yours. Enjoy it. Take it. I am with you. Why do you feel so much sorrow? Why do you feel so much anger? Everything I have is yours. You live in my presence. And he says, but it's only fair that we celebrate the arrival of your brother. Because he was dead. And now he is alive. We're giving him food. It's exactly what he needs after this long travel that he had. We're giving him what he needs. Don't feel ashamed of being at the table with him. But you know what we do not know from this story? We do not know how the oldest son responds. We do not know if he ended up joining the celebration or not. And I think it was on purpose. Because we are that son. And we need to make up our minds. Are we going to live according to the challenge that God has given us through this message series? Welcome the stranger. Welcome your neighbor. Welcome those who are in pain. Live sacrificially. Love sacrificially. Give your life for the other. Because if you act this way, you are welcoming Jesus himself into your life. You are welcoming God himself into your life. And when you think that you're doing, making a sacrifice to be a blessing to others, the Bible promises you that you are the one who's going to be the most blessed. Because you are inviting Jesus in your life and allowing him to do what he does best. It's time that as a church we continue to develop our hospitality. Hospitality in this increasingly divided society. Hospitality to the rich and the poor, to the displaced, to those who live in poverty, to those who are the outsiders. We have an opportunity to show God's love on a global scale. And everything starts when we answer God's call to hospitality. Let's all stand and allow the word of God to sink in into our hearts and may the Holy Spirit convince us of what we need to do this morning. Maybe we need to confess our sin and our inability to trust God. Maybe we have to confess that we've been closing our hearts to the needs of those around us. Maybe, just maybe, we need to realize that Jesus is right there. And we just can't see. We just don't want to realize that. And as we sing, may the Holy Spirit bring this comfort, this peace, this forgiveness that we need to receive from Him. Let's all sing together. that God has touched your heart with the message that he wants to tell us. If you would like to be updated with the things that are happening in our church, you will follow us on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Riverside Lisbon. Thank you for listening. <laughs>